0: lifted hands all over this room where you just offer up your own prayer and words of gratitude and thanks to him this morning Jesus you are today our living hope as we've sang you are our everything today we thank you Lord today that the cross and the grave that was meant for us that you took our place We thank you for paying a price that we could not pay. We thank you for standing in the gap, becoming the Word made flesh, living a sinless life, and going to the cross, a sinless Savior, and dying and being the ransom for our sins so that we can be made right with the Father, so that we can have life in this life and in the life to come. And Lord, today we thank you for that. We are grateful today that we're not who we once once were by the power and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And we're not who we're going to be because you are transforming us from glory to glory, from day to day. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And everybody in the house said "Amen." amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated this morning awesome crowd today on um, the first Sunday in uh, June and we're glad that you're here this morning to worship the Lord with us if you have your Bibles or something with your Bible on it if you'll turn with me to the book of Jonah Jonah chapter one now Jonah is a really small book good luck finding it if you're if you're electronic this morning you're gonna get it just like that But uh, Jonah is eight books from the end of the Old Testament. If you want to go there and look, uh, you'll find it. And although Jonah is considered one of the minor prophets, if you know anything about Jonah's story, there's nothing minor about what happens to Jonah. And so this morning, we're going to begin to to unpack that and talk about that a little bit. So I want to look this morning at Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at the first three verses, okay? Okay. And then we're going to jump around a little bit, okay? It's on the screen. And you're probably following along on your Bible or the YouVersion Bible app. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship board bound for that port and after paying the fare he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord now between there and turn over to Jonah 3 I'm going to jump we know the story of Jonah he winds up in a great fish for three nights he gets spit out on the on the shore and right after that happens is where we see Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 and I want to jump to that point Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And then jump into verse 10, it says when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Turn over one more chapter to Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. But Jonah to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became what? He became angry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the relevance of your word that in today's culture, this story is so relevant. And I pray, Lord, that as we unpack it this morning, that you would speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be convicted and changed by what you communicate to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're beginning a new message series called Us Versus Them, A Journey with Jonah. And if you guys can give me that stuff on the back screen, I'd appreciate it. As a big sports fan, when I see a logo like that, Us Versus Them, and when I ran across that a few months ago and praying and preparing about what I was going to preach this year, as a sports fan, immediately when I see Us Versus Them, I think sports rivalries, if I'm thinking about professional baseball, I'm thinking about the Yankees and the Red Sox. If I'm thinking about professional basketball, I go back to the '80s with the Lakers and the Celtics. If I'm thinking about college basketball, and I grew up in Eastern North Carolina, where the best rivalry in all of basketball is the Tar Heels. I mean, the Tar Heels versus the Duke Blue Devils. No, no offense there, Brandon. Don't walk out. We got the Tar Heel fan. Just pray for him. And if you think about college football, which is what you all want us to get to, there's, there's really only one rivalry that matters, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs against the Florida Gators. This rivalry is so intense that they can't even have it at each other's home stadiums. They have to have it at a neutral site in Jacksonville, Florida. And then if you're talking pro football, I thought about the Redskins and the Cowboys. That's a, that's a long-standing uh, NFL rivalry, Hey, it's a long rivalry in the history of our nation, right? Anybody grow up in the backyard playing cowboys and Indians? Now, they'll, they'll string you up if you do that today. That's politically incorrect to play Cowboys or Indians, and they're not even called the Redskins anymore. But, but you kind of get the feel of as we're talking about rivalries, and even right here in Effingham, we've got a great rivalry right here. If it's basketball or football or, or baseball, we've got a great rivalry here in the county between the south end of the county and the north end of the county. And when it comes to rivalries, you know, we'll spend money to go to games. We'll spend money on gear. We we want to get in with whatever that rivalry is if we're into sports. And, And we all kind of come to the table knowing that our team isn't going to win every year. They're not going to win the championship every year. So the one game on the calendar that really matters that we'll circle is that rivalry game. And a team can have a terrible season, but if they can beat their rival, then they'll walk away and say, hey, it was a good year. Well, this morning, I'm going to guess that in this room, this room is filled with Jesus-loving Christ-following Christian people. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. And and for us, we're on a team, too. We would call it Team Jesus, I guess you might say. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. As individuals who are following Jesus and we're on team Jesus, who is our them? As Christians, who would we put in the blank across from us? Us versus them. Who is our them? Immediately when I begin to think about who our them might be, I might think about politically, whatever side of the aisle you might be on, you may think about that's the them. You also might think about the... uh, the news media and it's us versus them when it comes to the news media. You might think of a a hot topic issue that we're facing today, like abortion. And then you've got the pro-choice crowd that you would say, okay, it's us versus them. And then you've got this idea that we never thought we'd see in this country of defunding the police. And then we had Black Lives Matter a few years ago. And then you've got in the shadows, the ACLU, which really kind of pulls the strings for all of these organizations. And now that we're in June, it's Pride Month. Anybody noticed it's been Pride Month this week on any I'm sure you have if you're awake and alive, you've noticed that it's everywhere. I even looked on my phone on one of my apps. The app color has changed to have a, to have a rainbow on it. And so all of these areas are surrounding us in our lives, and the question is, as Christians. Who is our them? If it's us versus them, which one of those groups, or is it all of those groups, who is our rival? Well, more on that in a moment. But for Jonah, his them was the Ninevites. So what made the Ninevites so terrible? Well, lost sometimes in this larger-than-life story story that we all know. I mean, it's one of the top three or four stories that you hear about in Scripture and that, that, you, that we teach the kids. You know, there's kids' movies and toys and all kinds of stuff made from Jonah and the what? The whale. And we don't even know if he was a whale. The Scripture said it was a great fish, okay? So, uh, but that's beside the point. But lost in this incredible story is how he got there in the first place. And it was because Jonah had a rival and his rival were the Ninevites. Look again at the verse we read this morning in Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now, Jonah is known in Scripture as a minor prophet, not because he wasn't important, but because there's only four chapters dedicated to his story. And, in, and a lot of times, prophets in the Bible, they come along and they have something to say to a certain nation or situation. And Jonah had something to say. It's super short, but really for Jonah, it's all about him, his story. And so we see here, it says, God spoke to Jonah and God said to Jonah, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach what against it because it's wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah hears that. And instead of going and getting on a boat or getting on a a, a camel or however he was going to get to Nineveh, he goes in the opposite direction. The Bible says he did what from the Lord, somebody? He ran in the opposite direction. He got on a boat, and if Nineveh's in the east, he's going to the west to Tarshish. And He's trying to get away from this mission that God has called him to. He refused to be obedient to God's instructions. And for him, the Ninevites were his rival. They were the enemy. He didn't want anything to do with them. And more than that, y'all, he didn't think God should have anything to do with with the Ninevites. He didn't think they deserved to hear a message of God's wrath, grace, or forgiveness. So I think a fair question as we take this journey with Jonah to ask would be why? Why did Jonah hate the Ninevites so much? Well, let's let's look at a little bit of what we know about the Ninevites or Nineveh. First of all, Nineveh was a major city of the Assyrian Empire in Mesopotamia. Now, this happens at a time in the history of Israel when the kingdom has been split into the northern kingdom with Israel and the southern kingdom with Judah. And Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom. Of Israel. And this Assyrian empire is one of the largest empires on the planet at that time. They were, they were a terrible, evil empire. And Just kind of so you know where that is uh, on your map today, that would be about 220 miles north of where Baghdad is currently. The Assyrians were a godless nation. They were one of Israel's top enemies. And they were known to be extremely cruel in battle. They were a very violent people. And when they would capture someone in battle, they would torture them, they would kill them, they would put their corpse on display, and then they would write stories and, and draw, uh, draw the history out so those coming behind them would remember it. Essentially, they were an international terrorist war machine at the time. Another minor prophet named Nahum tells us this. He says that Nineveh's sins included plotting against evil against the Lord, cruelty and plundering, war, prostitution, witchcraft, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, let's, let's think about and let's get in Jonah's shoes for a minute. If I'm in Jonah's shoes and these are my enemies, I step back. Godless nation, our enemy, they're incredibly cruel in battle. They're war, prostitution, witchcraft. And God taps me on the shoulders and says, go send them a message. I'm like, hey, first of all, I don't want to be anywhere near that place. And those people, those are our enemies. But I'm just not so sure that they deserve to hear a message from God. And if you step back and put yourselves in Jonah's shoes, you might say, I get it. I might understand why Jonah felt the way that he did. Well, now that we know who Jonah's rivals were. That's a question I asked a moment ago. Who are our rivals? Who is it that's on the other side for us? And when we go back to that image that we saw a moment ago. And we look at all those different areas that could be our potential rivals. I look at that list and while we don't face the threat yet of physical violence, most of these groups, follow me, openly hate God live in defiant opposition to the Word of God, the people of God, the things of God, and are intent on destroying anything that comes in the way of the promotion or overtaking their agenda. They want to have the loudest voice in the room. And it feels like in today's culture as Christians, it would be super simple to say, oh yeah, That's our rival. It's us in the church and it's them in the world. But what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say about our rivals? Does the scripture have anything to say about who our rivals are? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to give you the answer today. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 when Paul is talking about the armor of God says this. Our struggle is not somebody say is not is not not against flesh and blood not against people but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so what does the bible say about our rivals our rivals are not physical but spiritual do you see that this morning our rivals are not physical. It's not what we see. It's what we cannot see. Now let's go back to that verse again and look at it. Paul says our struggle is not against each other. It feels like as the church in America, we're in a tug of war and all those or some of those are on the other side, right? Y'all going to be super quiet or y'all going to help a brother out today? All right. It feels like that, right? Anybody ever feel that way? Okay? But Paul says, look, our our fight isn't against flesh and blood. But behind all of that, hey, if we're going to sing about a spiritual, almighty, incredible, awesome, great, and and omnipresent, omnipotent God, we got to believe there's a force on the other side of that. And there is. And Paul says there are rulers and there are authorities And there are powers of this dark world and and, and spiritual forces of evil that would make anything you've seen in the worst horror movie or bad guy you can ever imagine tremble in their socks. Because this is the real deal. And Paul tells us that our fight isn't with each other. That there is this, this spiritual force behind all of that. And so... If we consider that those areas and those folks and the people that seem to be against us, we know they're not on Team Jesus, right? We know they're living contrary to the Word of God. I'm just going to give them the title today, Unbelievers. Because they don't believe the Word of God. They don't follow the Word of God. They're, They're people who are lost and far from God. So what does the Bible tell us about them? Okay, We know... That they're the ones that we have to see and deal with every day. So, what does the Bible tell us about it then? Scripture tells us at least three things I want to show you today. Number one, they are blind. In Second Corinthians four, four, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Do you see that? Blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's a very simple way, very simple illustration Paul's giving. That just like a blind person is unable to see, they lost their way, they don't know where to go, they're groping in the darkness, they have no sense of what's going on around them if they are blind. Paul says that the God of this age that he just talked about, the spiritual forces, the principalities, the demonic realm that's in in the spirit of the power of the air, that that demonic realm has blinded, the not the eyes, but the what? The minds of unbelievers. They're blind so they can't think. They're blind, that's why they can't distinguish between right and wrong. And when we lose the ability to be able to distinguish between white, right, right, and wrong, there's no absolute truth. And when there's no absolute truth, what happens, y'all? Everything, anything goes. And now we're living in a culture that is woke. Anybody heard that term? We live in a all of the the reason why an app on your phone suddenly turned on June 1st with a with a rainbow behind it is not to say hey let's don't forget about Noah it's because that company said if we don't say something then we believe we'll be persecuted so we've got to we got to fly the flag with whatever the latest thing is because we want to we want everybody to think that we're Woke. Actually, they're more asleep than they've ever been before because the scripture says that their minds have been blinded. Number one, they're blind. Number two, they're confused. You hear this word a lot in our culture? We live in a culture of confusion. Sexual confusion. Gender confusion. The poor women's rights community that has fought for years to have equality and our daughters and granddaughters that we have fought to be able to have the same equal opportunities in sports have now lost those opportunities because we're so woke that we'll allow a man to compete as a woman and then win that event and give them an award and let them make a record and we're not going to do anything about it we're confused as a culture my body, my choice, says the abortion movement, until COVID comes along. And then they say, no, no, it's not your body, your choice. You have to take a vaccine. Hashtag Me, me, me Too movement came along years ago. And in some ways, standing for things that are important, like let's, 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 let's push back against sexual abuse, harassment, and a rape culture that's in our country. Let's push back against that that is this forced on our women and our young women and our girls. But the Me Too movement is completely silent when it comes to a multi-billion dollar pornography industry that's behind all of it. We're confused. We stand up for one thing and we don't know about the other. We want to protect the ballot box, but not the border. We're in a confused culture. The Bible says unbelievers are blind, they're confused, and they are divisive. Anybody see that in our culture? That many groups are just evil, divisive, invite. Some of these groups to a cup of coffee. Well, let me hear you and you hear from me. That's not going to happen. I'm going to take the coffee and throw it in your face. Pastor, that, that's a little strong. I've seen it. Last fall, Tress and I were downtown at a restaurant meeting a friend of ours who was in town on a beautiful fall Saturday morning. And as we're going to this Savannah restaurant that's known for their brunch, that we were like, hey, we want you to take to this place, take you to this place. As we're trying to find a parking place, I notice that there's an unusual amount of of activity going on in the city. And as we go around one curve, I, I just see more and more activity and we come upon a women's rights movement march. And it wasn't just a group of women saying, you know, equal pay and all this stuff. It was a group of women who had LGBTQ signs and abortion signs. And signs that were extremely crude and vulgar. They were brash. They were loud. They were defiant. If my children had been there, I would have covered their ears. I was embarrassed to be standing there with the women that I was with, my wife and some other friends of ours. And hearing what they were, the, 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 the hatred And the vileness as they walk through the streets, screaming and yelling at who? I don't know. Just angry and divisive and mad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Philippians 3, Paul says this. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before. And I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the confusion And the divisiveness and the hatred that we see in our country. It is because there is a living, breathing Satan and force of evil behind all of it. Can I get a better amen, 9 o'clock? I know this is not what you were expecting this morning. But we all need to hear it. Especially what we're going to talk about next. So what do we do? What does the Bible say About our response to unbelievers. Number one, it says we as the church, we must know, we must live, and we must declare God's word. Can I get a better amen? We must, number one, know God's word. We need to know this book. I'm not talking about being relatively familiar with it. And if the only diet you get is what you hear me say on Sunday morning and one verse of the day, honey, you need more than that. You need to get fat and happy on this. A good thing to get fat and happy on. But we must know the word. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Man, that's good. We must know the truth. Jesus said, if you're truly my disciples, you'll remain faithful to my teachings and you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Free. Amen. We we must not only know the truth, we must live God's truth. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to hear it. You're going to hear truth today. I'm going to give you stuff that you can take home and and put into your life. But you can hear it and walk out and forget it or you can live it. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James says, look, you're deceived if you just come in and think all you can do is just listen and that's it. Don't just listen. Go out and do what it says. I love this quote. From author Brenning Manning, he says this, The greatest greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We've got to know the truth, we've got to live the truth, and then we've got to declare the truth. We can't be afraid to say it, because if we don't say it, who's going to hear it? Paul says, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, I'm not a preacher. No, the commission was go to everybody. All of us. Have the responsibility to know God's truth, to live God's truth, and declare God's truth when we have those opportunities. And here's the second thing that we're called to do. We must remember, offer, and display God's love. we got to remember God's love. That's what we just sang in that last song, in, in, the, in the song before it, Living Hope. We're, we're singing about and declaring the love that we've received from God. Amen? Amen? But sometimes we've done this for so long we forget how deep the hole was that he found us in when he pulled us out. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, as for you, and he's talking to Christian folks, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the same thing he's talking about two more chapters later in Ephesians, four more chapters later in Ephesians 6, he's talking about the enemy, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Anybody remember where you were and who you were before Jesus found you? But, somebody say but. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. In our transgressions, <clears throat> it's by grace you've been saved. And jump down to verse 8. It's by grace you've saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift, not by work so no one can boast. We cannot forget where we came from. When we get frustrated with what appears to be our enemy, we need to remember God's great love toward us. Joshua experienced extreme short-term memory loss. Because in the story, he winds up in the belly of the fish in chapter 2. He prays a prayer, half, halfway prayer of repentance and wants to get out. And as soon as he's out, he's like, well, I'll go. And God is going to forgive him and Jonah's mad about it. What a jerk. You were thinking it? He forgot that just a few days before he was in the belly of a fish praying for his life and he has no mercy on these people. You would think your boy would have walked out with a sack full of mercy and would have gone and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But he's still a jerk because he's forgotten. Where God has brought him from. Can I just say this is not in my notes. There's too many Christians that are jerks. If you're a Christian jerk, get saved again. Get over yourself and start treating people I'm getting. That's, that's another point. Remember God's love. Okay? Number one under point two, we must remember God's love. Secondly, we must offer God's love and mercy. We've got to be in a place where we offer it to people. Listen to what the scripture says about Jesus. Later, Levi, who was Matthew, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. People who were on the screen a minute ago. There were many people of this kind among Jesus followers, Mark says. But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, kind of like Jonah, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked him, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. I don't know who said this. I found this quote this week, but I thought it was powerful enough to share with you. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors, because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant, and accepting, he ate with them to call them to repentance. That was the purpose. And the crowd that declares that Jesus was nothing but a long-haired, love conquers all, love is love hippie, failed to understand the truth of the gospel. That verse, go back one, it says that he called those who were what, y'all, last word, sinners. He was at the table because they were the ones who needed to come out of a sinful lifestyle. Eating with them didn't mean he supported what they did, but it also didn't keep him from loving them. He offered them love. He said, go and sin no more. And as we said Wednesday night in our study, Jesus always took care of the physical before he took care of the spiritual. He has that conversation and that relationship building time then to meet that need. And if we're going to meet and reach those around us who are blind and confused and divisive, we've we got to remember God's love. We've got to offer God's love. But finally, as somebody comes to the keyboard, we've got to display God's love. When we think about this them, us versus them, here's something I've noticed about, yeah, here's something I've noticed about what we would consider the them in our culture We've already said they're blind, confused, and divisive. But they also respond with a lot of emotion. Have you seen that to be true? Y'all still alive this morning? That day when we were in Savannah last fall, y'all, it was a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion. And if we're not careful, lean in. As believers, as Christian folks, we'll respond with that same type of meanness and hatred and emotion this Bible says through the spirit number seven that after love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control and gentleness we are to have I just said it out of order final self-control the world doesn't have self-control you're called to be different man of God, woman of God I've told you for years, don't get in the mud with that garbage. Don't get in the mud on Facebook and try to go back and forth. Don't get in the mud on your job or in those conversations. Too many times we're trying to win an argument and not a soul. We must display God's love. If they feel and sense the same hatred... And nastiness as they're spitting at us. Why would they want anything we have to offer? Paul says, whatever you do. In word or in deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you can't do that or say that back. In the name of Jesus, don't say it. We've got to remember God's love. We've got to offer God's love, we got to display God's love to a hurt and dying and hopeless world. So pastor, what are you saying? You know, how, how, how do we do this? In conclusion this morning, Jesus, as always, gives us the perfect example of how to do this. John 1 14, a verse that we've found ourselves at a lot in this house over the last six months the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father say it with me full of grace and truth say it again full of grace and truth not a half cup of grace and a half cup of truth makes a full Jesus full of grace Full of truth. And this is where, as believers, we fail so often. We're either on one side or the other, and they cannot exist without each other and not be a Jesus central gospel. Why? Because, watch this truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is just nasty and mean grace without truth is meaningless because you can love people straight to hell but truth plus grace is good medicine you put those together and you have an antidote of hope what the world needs is a church with a backbone to stand up for truth and a heart that's full of love paul said this instead of what everybody else is doing speaking the truth in We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If you're not coming to church to grow, to become mature and more like Jesus, then start today. Don't come just to check the box. A result of growing to become more like him is that we grow in grace and truth. And you know, grace and truth, it is, it's our mission as a Love Your City church. When we talk about hearing his heart, we're talking about truth. And when we talk about showing his love, we're talking about grace. So us versus them. Unbelievers are blind. They're confused they're divisive but our response must be we're called to live to know to declare God's truth and to remember and offer and display God's love amen, amen. stand with me this morning as a worship team joins us today to ask you two questions this morning in response to this message today. Who is your Nineveh? Is there somebody in your life in your circle of influence, in your family, on your job, in your neighborhood, that person that you do business with that represents Nineveh. A long way away from God, difficult to try to connect with. Who's your Nineveh today? If you don't have a Nineveh, go get you a Nineveh. We all should have some Nineveh in our lives. Because we got to be able to offer God's grace to people. Amen. That's the first question. Who's your Nineveh? And the second question is, do we have any Jonahs in the house today? (laughs) Anybody ever have a Jonah spirit? If we were honest, every hand in the room would go up. Some of you need to lift two and both feet. Man, when we saw that mess last fall, I wanted to lift two in both feet. But that's the flesh that wants to respond. And if the them is going to become us, we've got to respond with grace and truth. Amen? Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for this word that you've given and spoken today. Not easy to preach, not easy to hear. But Lord, I believe it's relevant to where we're all living today. And so, Lord, in the deep recesses of our spirits and our hearts today, we pray that as we're challenged, as we're convicted, that, Lord, most importantly, we be changed. And, Lord, if there's any area in our lives where we have a Jonah spirit, Lord, we confess today, Lord. We confess today, Lord, those attitudes and actions, Lord, that drive us far from people who are far from you. Lord, today we confess that our, our words and our thoughts are not always those that bring you glory and bring you honor, God. God, remind us today that um, you didn't just die for us. You died for all those who were lost. And remind us today, God, that the reason why our culture is the way it is and it seems to be so confused and blind and divisive is because they don't know you. And we pray today, God, for those that you've put in our paths in this room. We ask you, God, to empower us with the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to those situations and those circumstances. And God, that you would use us in a mighty way, I pray. Lord, I pray today, God, if there's a, Jonah spirit in us Lord that you would help us to confess that and turn that over to you and may your Holy Spirit check in us and instead of complaining and getting frustrating lead us to prayer to pray for those organizations and pray for those leaders and pray for those people Lord that we're encountering and pray for those in our families and in our jobs, and in our communities, and our neighbors that are far from you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy today. I want to ask this morning before we close with just some worship. Is there anybody here today who would say, Les, I am a them today. I am far from God. And before I leave this room, I need to experience the mercy and the grace that I've heard talked about and presented and sung today. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you today before you leave. Would you raise your hand and I'll pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'll promise not to embarrass you. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Anybody in this room who'd say, I need, to, I need to pray that prayer today. I'm far from God. I need to make some things right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Multiple hands here in this service today. I want to ask us all today to pray this prayer. This prayer is not found in Scripture anywhere, but it's it's a scriptural prayer that leads us to commit ourselves to God. And some of you you're committing again, some of you maybe for the first time. And I want to ask you today to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he took my sins to the cross. That he died in my place. And you raised him to life. I'd like to trust him now as my savior. And I want to follow him as Lord. From this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise today? Second verse, second verse. Can we sing a little bit of this today as remembering where God has brought us from today? Let's start with that second verse. I'm living proof. I guess that's the first verse. Come on. Of what the mercy of God. Anybody? Anybody know what we're talking about? Come on.
1: If you knew me then, believe me now. Turn my whole life upside down to be all in me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's just what the mercy of God can. Come on, church. Let's sing it out today. And I'm alive to tell the story How I've overcome His goodness and mercy And the power of the blood and I'm so glad that my freedom Wasn't based on what I've done But the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood.
0: Thank you, Lord. Oh,
1: thought I deserve, Lord, oh, I deserve to be six feet. said, choices made that I regret.
0: God, one more time, we say thank you for this time we've been able to be together as your family to worship. Thank you for what you've said, what you've done. Lives have been transformed and changed. And God, may we go out today assault in life with grace and truth full. God, to share the good news of the truth of Jesus. And Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Family Ministries Night.